Last week, we heard that the greatest commandment is to love God with all that is in us. Now, God spoke these words through Moses just as God's people were about to enter the land that he had spoken to Abraham about that would be their land forever. And then Jesus repeated and confirmed this commandment just days before going to the cross. The problem is, however, that the human heart is easily led astray by all kinds of idols and this danger of worshiping them in place of God. It's all around us and it's in us. So this is our only hope. We love God because he first loved us. God is the initiator and then we respond. And then there are two promises given through the prophet Isaiah to those who love God. First, people of all nations will join themselves to him in love to serve him and will be brought to his holy place and then made joyful in his House in his house is his family, and today's scripture is all about family, God's family. And then, secondly, he has something absolutely unimaginable prepared for those who love him, and that's universal. Isaiah spoke at 700 BC, Paul confirmed it around 50 AD. Also, there are two sides to God's love, salvation and judgment. And these two sides, which don't quite seem to fit together perfectly in our heads, are linked together by one word that we really don't like to hear, discipline. But discipline is the mark of a true father, the mark of God. God uses discipline to bring people to him for the first time or to bring people back to him when they stray, whenever they may stray. And God becomes our father In this way, when we surrender our entire lives to him, to obey him by grace through faith, in the work of his son, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. We need to follow him. And all people of all nations become his children by the gift of reconciliation to God by faith in the Savior or Yeshua in Hebrew, Jesus in Greek. People of all nations can learn to love God 
and be united to him and together as one family. All who love Yahweh God are in his family. Now, the book of Ruth, which is our primary focus this morning, is an appendix to the book of Judges. And Judges is a dark book. God's people fell into great idolatry and unbelief after Joshua's generation died. Oh, there were moments, rare moments of revival under a handful. You could count them on one hand of God-chosen, spirit-filled judges. But as soon as they died, people lapsed into even deeper darkness. Now, Elimelech and his family, both of them, all of them, were not fully committed lovers of God. They disobey God's will twice in our short passage this morning. But still, there were sparks of love and faith in Naomi. Because of her, a foreign woman came to love God and leave her idol gods and join with God's people. This is amazing. And then 1,300 years later, Jesus asked people that he was teaching about his family. Who's in his family? Whoever's in his family is the one who does the will of God. Now, let's dig deeper into these two passages. The Ruth passage has two large parts. And the first part has to do with Elimelech taking his family to Moab during a famine where he dies, his sons marry, and the sons die, and his wife is left without husband or sons. So first we're told during a famine in the time of the judges, a certain man of Bethlehem sojourns in Moab with his wife and two sons. And I love how the King James puts it, and it came to pass, and it was in the days of the judges when there was a famine in the land. Now, I've already alluded to judges. I gave you the reference in chapter 2, which summarizes this whole time in the unfaithfulness of God's people. And now a famine. Understand, there's two real long chapters in the Torah, and one small section near the beginning says... A famine is a curse from God. If we disobey God, he still loves us. He could still forgive us, but there are consequences. And this was a consequence. So a man in Bethlehem, house of bread from Judah, the land of praise, descended from the son of praise, Judah. He went to sojourn. That's one of my favorite words. In Moab with his wife and sons. To sojourn is to dwell for a time in a place that is not our home. And just think about it. In this life, even followers of Jesus, we're just pilgrims. We're just sojourners here. Our real home is in front of us. And his name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi, and his sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites living in Judah. Okay, what are these names? Elimelech means 
My God is king. Naomi means my delight. Melon means sick. Kilion means pining. Now, perhaps, I didn't check any commentaries. This is just mostly from my thinking about this. Perhaps this is not just a description of the physical weakness of these two sons, but a reflection. I mentioned these sparks of hope of the parents' spiritual sensitivity to the idolatry of God's people in God's land. Idolatry is sickening. Maybe he was to point out to people what we're doing is sickening. And people who want to follow and worship the true God should be pining for him in the midst of a people who disdain him and are unfaithful. Just maybe. Then they entered Moab and they had been there. That's the best translation. They had been there for some time. Now, Moab means from father. And he had a brother named Ben-Ami, which means son of my people. And these two names reflect the sordid affair of Lot and his two daughters after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Next, we're told that after he dies, his sons marry women of Moab, and then the sons die, and his wife has only her daughters-in-law. That's all that remains. So we're told, and Elimelech died, and Naomi was left behind, and her two sons. So her husband is dead, but she does have her two sons who are from her husband, so she's left with something. And then we're told the sons took wives from the women of Moab, and they dwelt there 10 years. Okay? Now, again, the Torah makes it very, very, very clear. God spoke through Moses. His people were to never marry foreign women. There is another sin and another disobedience. Now, of these names, it's interesting. Orpah means gazelle. And I spent about 10 or 15 minutes on Ruth's name. I love the full meaning of it. And it's the only time it occurs in scripture, but it's a variation, and it means sisterly friendship between women. In fact, that name, sisterly friendship between women, may summarize this entire book. Maybe that's why that's the name of it. Then we're told Malan and Kilian died, and Naomi was left behind of her two sons and husband. After 10 years now, death has come in to all of Naomi's family that entered Moab with her. Only she, the one whose name means my delight, remained. Now, again, this is just speculation, but who is my? Well, perhaps when her parents named her, their wish was that she would be a delight to Yahweh. If her name is Yahweh's delight, it's actually truer than she could possibly imagine in this dark moment when her whole family is gone, because we know how this story turns out. 
So after hearing that there's food in Judah, she plans to return and commands her daughters-in-law return to their mothers, but Ruth will not leave Naomi. So as she rises to return from Moab, Naomi commands her daughters-in-law to return home. Ophrah returns, and this is very interesting, but Ruth cleaves to her. So then she rose, her daughters-in-law with her, and she returned from the fields of Moab because she heard Yahweh visited his people to give bread. So the house of bread has bread in it again. This is the grace of God. After 10 years of disciplinary famine, he showed his people grace by giving them bread. People, let's bring it forward to the 21st century because the scripture is for all God's people of all times. We must all be encouraged because though God may discipline us, he will give us grace to return to him. Naomi has received grace to return to Yahweh in the land where she belonged. And then she went out from where she was and went on the way to return to Judah. But notice this. She went out with the two daughters-in-law. Orpah and Ruth are staying with Naomi. They're showing great loyalty towards her. She's been more to them than just a mother-in-law. Now she commands them, go, return to your mother's house. So Yahweh will love you both as you did to those who are now dead and to me, and he will give you that you must find a resting place with a husband in your land. She kissed them, and they all wept aloud in a great voice. So she's giving three commands. The first two are very important. Go, return. But she also says, find. Find yourselves husbands, okay? But then she desired two blessings for them, that Yahweh, the true God of love, will love them, and they will have a resting place, a safe resting place. Now, because they loved her and she loved God, she wanted to bless them. And here's another application, people. May we all realize that our disobedience to God, although it may bring death, if we join ourselves to God and his people, as these daughters-in-law, at least Ruth for sure had done, we may receive his love and rest, no matter how much we've disobeyed. That's a wonderful promise. And all three of them wept with loud voices because they were going to be separated after many years. And they desired to go on with Naomi, but she commands them, return, because she can't give them husbands. Return, go. Look, if I had hope of having a husband tonight and I conceived quickly and I bore sons, Would you wait 16 years for them to grow up? 
No, no, no. You wouldn't wait for them to grow. And then she says, in a key word in this book, it is more bitter for me because Yahweh's hand has gone out against me. So they're still being loyal to Naomi. You know what? I think she was a mother to them. And then she concludes by reversing her first two main commands. Return, go. Now, back to bitter. Because all of her men had died, she is convinced God is against her. She even changed his na- her name. A few verses later, when she returned home, she says, call me bitter. I'm not my delight. Call me bitter. However, however... Um, We know how the book ends. She will experience God's grace and actually have a place in the line of the Messiah. She will learn a truth that we should live by. And here's another application for us. Bitterness and disobedience to God, which I think we've all felt. We've all been there. It can be overcome by accepting God's grace open to it, receive it. Now, experience had taught her finally that she and her family were wrong to leave the land that God gave them as a forever inheritance. But even though she knows she was wrong, she's still not fully trusting God. And then they all wept again loudly. And Orpah kissed Naomi and Ruth clave to her. This is a very interesting word. Of course, you recognize it. It's the word used of Adam and Eve in Genesis. And here's a real cool thing about God. We've already talked about it this morning. Though they were of different nations, there is a strong family bond between them. And then this passage concludes as Ruth makes a five-fold pledge to never leave Naomi or her God. Now, Naomi tried one more time. Behold, behold, your sister-in-law returned to her people in God's. You must return after her. Now, this word, behold, in Scripture, it's like a command. It means pay attention to me. She demands Ruth return. We'll hear later Jesus used the same word. But Ruth said two things. First, a prayer. Do not entreat me to forsake you or return. To not forsake. I find this interesting. With wedding words, Ruth says she will not obey Naomi's four-time command. And then she says, because where you go, I will go. Where you dwell or live, I will live. Your people, my people. Your God, my God, and where you die, I will be buried. Ruth says she is one with Naomi. And Naomi's God is her God. She has now learned to forsake Moab's idol gods and to love the true God because of and due to her relationship with Naomi. Her bond with her mother-in-law made her love Yahweh God and made them one family forever joined together, cleaving together 
even though they were of different nations. Again, here's one of the most awesome truths about God. All who love Yahweh are in his family. And then she says, thus Yahweh do to me and more, because death will separate between you and me. Only death separates. Okay? Now, understand this. This five-part pledge will only be done in the grace and strength of Yahweh. And now here, only death shall we part. It's the second marriage bond illusion between these two sister friendship women. Ruth is living up to her name. And then Jesus said of the church, all with faith in him are his bride. So this marriage theme is no mistake. Ruth and Naomi foreshadow God's church in Jesus Christ made up of people of every nation who love him and are in the family of God together. All who love Yahweh are in his family. Okay, I think that's enough from Ruth. Let's go forward to our gospel passage now in Mark. And what we learn here can be summed up this way. Jesus says his family members do God's will. So Jesus responds to the fact, if you look in context, his mothers and brothers are waiting for him. And he asks a question, who is my family? Now, you need to read all of Mark 2 and 3 up to this point. Jesus was doing amazing healings, and he was giving controversial teachings, so much so that his family came to him saying he is out of his mind, literally insane. Okay, they thought he was insane. Now, having answered those questions, which is where the King James picks up, he began to speak. And what were they saying? Well, if you look above, they were saying these miracles were done by Beelzebub, by the enemy. But he's saying, no, these were done in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, who is the mother mine and the brothers mine? He asked them who is in his family using seven precise words. And then after looking at those sitting all around him, he answers, whoever does God's will is my family. So having looked all around at those sitting round about him, he said, so those that were sitting round about him, remember, they were people open, open to the teachings of Jesus. And he says, behold, the mother mine and the brother's mine. So behold, it's every bit as much pay attention as when Naomi was trying to get rid of Ruth. But now he's telling them quite plainly uh, who is his family. You see, we must seek like those sitting around him. So let's get to that before we get to the big idea. They were sitting around desiring to learn from Jesus. And we'll never get anywhere unless we seek to learn from him by his word. 
Now, he uses the same seven words that he used in his question as he begins his answer. And he says, because whoever might do the will of God. This is important. We have to choose it. It's not automatic. He indicates that doing God's will is contingent on an individual choosing to offer himself as a living sacrifice, serving God to be transformed in order to approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then he says the same, that one. That one is my sister, my brother, my mother. Now notice how he's expanding his family by actually getting more precise. He had talked about his mother and plural brothers, meaning the church. Now he includes a sister, but all of the people are individuals. And he mentions every single possible member in a family but the father. Why? Because his father can be our father. So what's he really getting down to? The second main point this morning, Jesus' family does his will. And here's our final application this morning. We must also seek to know God's will by his word in the spirit, and then we will be in his family. Jesus' family does his will. So let me just sum up the stories quickly here. Elimelech takes his family to a foreign nation during a famine. His sons marry foreign women, and within 10 years, all the men have died. Then after God graciously provides food in his land where they belong all along, the widow Naomi sets out for home, commanding her foreign daughters-in-law to return to their homes. But Ruth gives a five-fold pledge to cleave in love to Naomi and also to cleave in love to her God. And then 13 centuries later, Jesus teaches that anyone who does God's will is also in God's family, the family of love. All who love Yahweh are in his family, and let me just emphasize this, regardless of nation. Everybody in the world is wringing their hands over division and trying to solve it with human means. Good luck. It won't work. The only way to have unity is when each and every person surrenders to God, is filled with his love, then can we love one another. Amen.